Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Appropriate Omnivore on the new Green Earth Radio. We've got a great show for you today. Our guest is Kimberly Harkey of the Weston A. Price Foundation. Plus, our desserts will tell you what, how to live in the up, appropriately in the upcoming week. But first, let's go to appetizers and find out what happened this week in the world of real food. A lawsuit was filed by two women in Wisconsin against the seafood importer Moon Marine USA Corp., alleging that a salmonella outbreak has been caused by tuna sushi rolls. Already, 41 people in 20 states have been sickened due to Moon Marine's tuna. This outbreak should serve as a wake-up call that a lot of seafood being served is not sustainable, and it's important to find out where your seafood is sourced. The United Foods and Commercial Workers Union has raised concern over the U.S. Department of Agriculture and the White House's proposal for new laws regarding poultry inspection. These new rules allow plants the rights to speed up the inspection process. Food and Water Watch also has issue with whether this change in the law will protect the consumers. Now, I side with the UCFW and Commercial Workers Union. This is all the more reason to buy poultry from small local farms. And also, Russell Sanna of the Harvard Medical School's Sleep Medicine Division says studies show that sleep deprivation can lead to a risk of diabetes, heart disease, and other troubling conditions. Lack of sleep can affect one's diet and amount of exercise. As my listeners know, I strongly believe that cholesterol and saturated fats aren't the cause of diabetes and heart attacks. This study shows what might be one of the strongest factors in these conditions. Two new studies have found that there's no link between the lack of supermarkets in poor urban communities and obesity. These studies don't surprise me at all. At almost any grocery store, even one of the ones selling so-called natural foods, there are so many bad choices that shoppers can make. A better solution than opening more supermarkets in these low-class neighborhoods are urban gardens. Urban gardens provide healthy, fresh, organic food to the community, as well as creating local jobs. Of course, education on healthy foods is also important to let the people know the right food to buy at supermarkets. And lastly, Josh Ozerski of Time Magazine has made a list of seven foods you should really eat before you die. On the list is raw milk cheese. Happy is an understatement of how I feel seeing someone from Time Magazine recommend raw milk cheese. But I'm very disappointed at his vague description of where to get it. Ozerski writes, there's a black market. Get online and find it. While raw milk is illegal in many states, there are also many states where unpasteurized cheese can be purchased legally. Many states have private buying clubs to obtain it. And then there are states where it's fully legal to be purchased in retail locations, such as California, where you can buy great raw milk cheese at many natural food stores from companies such as Organic Pastures and Sierra Nevada. Since Mr. Ozerski didn't do a good job of fully explaining where to find it, I'll do so. Go to the website realmilk.com, and you can find a list of where to get it in every state that sells raw milk legally in one way or another. And now for our main course, which today is the Weston A. Price Foundation. The Weston A. Price Foundation is a nonprofit organization that was founded in 1999 by Sally Fallon and Mary Ennig. It supports a dietary lifestyle going back to the way food used to be. The organization is named after a Cleveland dentist who traveled around the world in the 1930s originally to learn about dental health. Dr. Price discovered that the healthiest cultures 
were those that consumed nutrient-dense whole foods and animal fats that contained fat-soluble activators. I've been eating consciously and involved with the sustainable food movement for a little over four years now. The way I eat now, it didn't happen all at once. First, the major influence on my life was reading The Omnivore's Dilemma by Michael Pollan. This got me eating pastured meats, organics, non-GMOs, things like that. Michael Pollan also got me to want to learn more about real food. As time went on, I read many books and articles about sustainable agriculture. I made more efforts by doing things such as buying locally, avoiding BPAs, and consuming raw dairy. I'd read a little bit about the Weston A. Price Foundation, and when I heard they were going to have a booth at the Los Angeles Green Festival last November, I decided to check them out and interview them for my blog. I got to talk to four great members there, including the chapter leaders. I discovered that the Weston A. Price Foundation shares a lot of what I believe about food is real and sustainable. Talking with the different leaders and then reading many of the articles on the foundation's website, this got me to change my diet even more. Since then, I've been consuming more fermented foods such as sourdough and kombucha, avoiding canola and vegetable oils, and using real butter instead of that awful smart balance. Here to talk with me about the Weston A. Price Foundation is Kimberly Hartke. Kimberly is the Weston A. Price Foundation's publicist. She also runs the blog HartkeyIsOnline.com, part of the Real Food Media Network. So here now is Kimberly. Kimberly, it's great hey, to have you Aaron. on the show. Thank you. I'm so delighted that you asked me to be your guest. It's really exciting. Oh, absolutely. And I'm glad that you've uh, taken the time to do our show because you, know, you work for an organization which certainly has uh, helped shape the way I eat a lot. And I mean, certainly um, in developing this radio show, a lot of these topics that we've decided to discuss on it were things um, that I'd learned from from reading the Weston A. Price Foundation, the website, and reading the reading the book um, Nourishing Traditions. Well, we have a very rich agricultural and nutritional heritage. If we look back into history far enough, which is what Sally Fallon did with that magnificent cookbook, she really uh, has mined the riches of many cultures to teach modern Americans how to eat. And um, the nice thing is it's a broad uh, spectrum of foods. She's not a person that wants you to deny yourself the pleasure of your favorite food but she's all about looking at traditional uh, sources of these foods, uh, how they're traditionally raised and cultivated, and also traditional preparation methods. So for once, it's not a, a diet of denial, but it's a diet of celebrating uh, the richness of, of foods and all of the wonders that they provide us, the nourishment, the body-building properties, the immune system-building properties, Anyway, she's been a big inspiration to me, which is why I asked to be her publicist. <laughs> well, that's great. So, um, so you, so you basically you asked to be the publicist because you were a fan of the organization. Yes, I was a, a relatively new member. I had um, signed up in December, I believe it was, of two thousand six, and by the following. Uh, uh, February, I guess. I, I, basically, I had um, gotten involved, got my cow share, so I was accessing raw milk right away. And then within three months, I was a chapter leader in my community. What happened was, I was a chapter leader by, let's say, February after the December I joined. The following November, I went to my first conference, and I heard a panel discussion about the National Animal ID 
system that the government was pushing. And I was quite alarmed because I saw that the government intent was sort of hostile to the small farms and ranches that I had come to depend on for my food. And I, I got so alarmed, I said, you know, as a chapter leader, I can only do so much, but if I were to carry this message through the media to the masses, um, I would be able to make a bigger impact in defense of my own food sources, you know. Um, in any event, it's very exciting to me because this year, for the first time on national television, I'm hearing the talking heads mention grass-fed beef, grass-fed meats, um, this hasn't happened before recently. So we, we really are making a huge impact with our message. And, you know, it's amazing. You send out a few thousand press releases a year and all of a sudden people notice you. <laughs> Absolutely. So. Yeah, I'm certainly hearing more about grass-fed beef. And actually, I think an amazing thing about the Weston A. Price Foundation was um, this was founded in 1999. Um, so this was before things like the omnivore's dilemma and the vegetarian myth before those books. Um, I, I really see the Weston A. Price Foundation as innovators in a lot of this thing of real food. Well, I think that we've been sort of the wellspring that a lot of the modern um, uh, food movement has sprung from. Um, you know, N Nutrition and Physical Degeneration is the book written in the 1930s by Dr. Weston A. Price, and it's actually a classic work that's taught in at the university level to anthropology students and, and such. And, um, you know, Sally raised her children with the ideas from that book. And it was the Bible of the early, you know, physical culture movement there in Southern California, the early bodybuilders that worked out on Muscle Beach. They were following Weston Price's diet um, way back when, before Sally discovered it. In any event, after she had such fabulous success with her children, on the Weston Price guidelines, she got involved with the Price Pottinger Foundation as a board member and an activist. And then um, they have a mission of keeping the book in print and that type of thing, but she really wanted to do more marketing of the message and develop brochures and literature and a magazine. And the Price Pottinger Foundation just wasn't ready or, or able to take that on, so they licensed the name Weston A. Price Foundation to her, and then she's built a membership organization. Today we have over 13,000 members and over 550 chapters worldwide. And um, she's um, an English major and now is this publisher of Wise Traditions Magazine, which is our quarterly journal. And with her writing and editing skills and her vision, she has built uh, quite an operation that's all with grassroots support. It's just supported by the members' uh, dues. We're not supported in any big way, you know, by industry or anything like that. Um, so she gets all of her money from the grassroots. And the people that have, you know, supported her all these years are spreading the message in their local communities as well. So that's what keeps our membership growing. We're now growing, we were growing at the rate of 10% a year since the beginning, but now we're growing faster with the blogging and the internet, the Facebook page. We now have over 32,000 fans in Facebook and I think 9,000 fans or followers in Twitter. So, you know, the, the social media sphere is really spreading our message like wildfire, which is very exciting. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. That, and that makes a lot of sense because, I mean, there are so many great blogs by members to learn about it. And, I mean, the Facebook page is great because um, 
that's helped me a lot with learning about how, you know, learning about different, uh, you know, positions. And I mean, and also the website, I mean, it publishes a lot of the great articles by Sally Fallon and Mary Enig. Um, I think that's wonderful. So how did you find out about it in the first place? Um, I actually, at the time, was um, I had had some health challenges, and so did my husband. And we were told by several doctors that we both needed to lose weight. So, we at the time were on the South Beach diet. We were eating wild caught fish and grass fed bison. Um, we had sort of found a diet that was really working for us. And we had a friend to lunch on Memorial Day. And she told us she was a member of the Weston A. Price Foundation. I'm like, what's that? You know, I thought I knew everything about health at that point. I was very satisfied with myself that I had kind of like gotten with the program. And we both, between us, had lost 50 pounds. I lost um, uh, 20 pounds and my husband lost 30. And um, she explained to me about, you know, the natural diet of a chicken is bugs and worms and poking around in cow pies. And, and she started talking about raw milk and all of this was so foreign to me, and I'd never heard any of it before, so I sort of just logged it and and didn't really do anything about the knowledge of what she had shared. But six months later, a chiropractor lent me the book, um, The Schwartzbein Principle by Dr. Diana Schwartzbein. In that book, she mentions the vital importance of animal fats, and she mentions raw milk, and I said, this sounds like Weston A. Price. So I Googled Weston A. Price found the website. Within 10 minutes, I wanted to join and, and applied to join. And I wrote on my membership application, I'd love to meet Sally Fallon someday. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was so inspired by just what the website shared about their mission. And I felt like they knew all the things that I had lately been discovering, like the, the reason why we should eat grass-fed beef instead of conventional beef. And um, you know, Weston Price was promoting bone broth and, and dairy products, and the South Beach diet that I had been on sort of denied me dairy. So I was quite excited to be able to go back to dairy foods because I've I've loved them all my life. I've always been a big milk drinker, always loved cheese. And um, so to find out that there was a source of dairy that was so therapeutic that was actually going to help my health condition plus you know, uh, allow me to indulge. <laughs> I was there in spades, you know, so I was anxious to meet Sally, the brainchild behind it all. And, um, you know, didn't meet her for an, another eight months or so until that conference that, that November, almost a year later. Um, so anyway, that, that's how it all happened for me. And I just jumped in with both feet, got very involved and then got very excited about spreading the word and, and using the media tools. I, I not only do the press release dissemination, but I do um, manage the social media for the foundation. And we have several pages in addition to the Weston Price page. We have a Nourishing Traditions page that I manage. We have No Pink Slime in My Burger page now. Um, we have the Soy Alert page. I'm trying to think of what the last one is. There's one more. Oh, Red Meat Won't Kill You. That's the newest one. I love that <laughs> name. A, yeah. that's uh, One of our Facebook fans th thought of that when we put up, I think it was the No Pink Slime in My Burger page. He said, we need a No Red Meat, uh, Red Meat Won't Kill You page. So we did that. And I'm actually looking for volunteers amongst our fans to help me admin these pages. So if any of your listeners are really high on any of those issues, they should contact me. Um, and I'd, I'd, I'd love to have some volunteers help because it's a big job posting good content on those pages to keep people interested and keep finding new fans. 
Oh, I bet. And also, you're looking at eventually getting those into dot coms of themselves. I'm sorry? Are you looking at basically getting like the red meat won't kill you into like its own website as well, having like a dot com for it? Um, no, the plan is to basically use these uh, these little campaigns as feeder campaigns to feed the um, the growth of our main Weston A. Price and Nourishing Traditions pages. So what we'll do is we'll post content on these pages from our website. We'll we'll put, post membership uh, p- appeals. We'll we'll ask them to fan our main Facebook page from these pages. That kind of thing. But we're just trying to reach new audiences, people that, you know, this may be their path for finding the Weston A. Price Foundation guidelines is through these Facebook campaigns. So that's really what it's about. I mean, I, I suppose somebody could take it and develop it into an organization with a website and, and that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, that could happen, I guess, if the right talent emerges that wants to do it. But that, that wasn't really part of my plan. <laughs> I see. Well, that makes sense. Right. Because I know that, though, you do have also some um, – a couple other pages with the uh, the website. There's uh, realmilk.com, which actually I talked about earlier on the show, which I think is just a wonderful source for where you can find – raw milk in the various states and, and at what level you can get it. Um, and then there's also with the West Nate Price, there's also the page for the, the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund, which is a terrific organization. Yes, they've got the most fabulous website. I, I love the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund website. The, it's very easy to navigate. There's always exciting content, it's very graphically exciting. <laughs> I'm into art, so I, I like I like all the buttons and pictures that they have there. So um, they've done a really wonderful job. I actually do PR for them as well. So I'm, I'm primarily um, working for Weston Price, but the, the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund is sort of a, 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 an offshoot of our organization. Sally Fallon started it because once we started getting a lot of consumers buying from local farms and the local farms started getting, you know, hassles from regulators and legal challenges to their existence, um, we felt a need to protect them. So that's why the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund was launched. And it's patterned after the Homeschool Legal Defense Fund, because you might recall at at the time homeschooling became popular, there was a lot of government pressure for parents to, to leave their kids in public schools, even to the extent where they were going to families' homes and pulling kids out of the home and, you know, forcing them to go back to a public school. So um, the Homeschool Legal Defense Fund has become a very powerful advocate for homeschooling, and that's what we're trying to do with the, the farm-to-consumer direct sales. We want to be able to advocate and protect the legal rights of people to opting out of the mainstream conventional food supply and going to their local farmer and getting what they want. Right, and um, and that was uh, that was a thing I like also about the uh, the real milk is that tells where to find it. So now. I mean, I live in California, and certainly, you know, um, there it's legal. In, raw milk is legal um, in in retail stores. It's um, Whole Foods used to sell it. They they don't anymore. But um, pretty much all the independent natural food stores, you can get raw milk. Um, organic pastures are sold in all those, and there's a couple other brands. And I mean, in California, we have a lot of great farms that have raw that have grass fed beef there. Uh, in Virginia, where you live, how is it finding food that's like such as grass-fed beef, raw milk, and you know food that's uh, 
specific to uh, to the, you know the real food diet recommended by Sally Fallon? Well, actually, the Route 81 corridor, which is sort of the um, it runs the western, uh, it's kind of like a big sliding board right, uh, running the western side of our state, going down to, into Tennessee. Um, there are tons of farms and ranches along there, just tons and tons. That's where I have a cow share with a, a little dairy that's a hundred year old farm. They haven't had ever have a, never have had pesticides on the grass. Um, you know, we have lots of ranchers. Um, Polyface Farm is off the Route 81 corridor. So we have actually a very rich agricultural uh, state here and a very supportive Department of Agriculture. We love them. They're very helpful and supportive of the traditional farming. Um, and then Charlottesville, where UVA is, University of Virginia, is sort of the, the hotbed of activism around food issues. They have a big Farm Food Voices event every year, which brings out about 2,000 farm farmers and food activists. Um, they have, you know, a full day of uh, speeches and exhibits and uh, wonderful food, and politicians go. Like when I was there two years ago, they had somebody campaigning for governor that was there. And um, so it, it's, it's quite something. It, it would probably be similar to what's going on in the Bay Area of San Francisco on, on, on food, only on a much smaller scale. <laughs> so um, anyway, it's, it's, uh, we're very fortunate in Virginia, actually. Sounds like We have a lot of farmer's markets. Yeah. We yeah. have a lot of farmer's markets, a lot of CSAs, and um, it's growing all the time. Right. When you say like San Francisco, that explains it all. Because, I mean, in Los Angeles, it is um, – I'd say it is quite good um, what we have because we have like it seems almost every town in LA has a farmer's market and we have a lot of stores. Um, although it seems like all the suppliers that we get are all from up north, the grass-fed beef and the raw milk manufacturers. I mean even you know the closest ones are like Santa Barbara, I think. Um, as good as LA is probably in California, the uh, best town for it is in San Francisco and also um, – I mean also in Berkeley as I'm sure you're familiar with, there's the uh, – there's a store, Three Stone Hearth, which is uh, run by the Weston A. Price members. Yes, yes. I've seen that in the movie Farmageddon. And also my first conference as a chapter leader, I heard the Three Stone Hearth members speak um, to the chapter leaders about what they had created there. And that's Sally's vision is to have a brothel in every community. What she means by that is a bone broth soup-making <laughs> store and that's exactly what Jessica Prentice and her partners have created there. It's very, very exciting project. We'd love to clone them and have them in every big city in America, in every small town, too, because <laughs> um, they're providing very nourishing food for people that are, are busy and really need nutrient-dense foods but don't have the time to invest personally. They can just go pick up their order, and they're all set for the week. You know, they've got, they've got all their meals and everything they, they need to sustain their health. <laughs> And I'm sure they're helping a lot of families with special needs. One of the things I've learned about the Western Price Diet is it's extremely therapeutic for many, many different health conditions. And that's the gateway that most people find our organization. We're kind of an organization of sick members all striving to get well. And we do have a lot of fruit on our tree. We do have a lot of overcoming stories and testimonies of near-miraculous recovery from, from severe chronic 
disease and degenerative diseases through employing this diet as as part of a healing protocol. It, it may not be the total answer for somebody, but it's part and parcel of their whole um, wellness effort. It can be a real strong component of, of overcoming a, a situation. In my case, I had um, chondromalacia patella, which is a very painful knee condition. It's also known as runner's knee. And um, through diet and exercise, I've pretty much arrested the the, um, the painful manifestations and have my life back. I mean, I was I was looking at at really having to modify my lifestyle pretty drastically. You know, we live in a four level home. I was looking at maybe having to move to a Rambler. Uh, and my husband just said to me, you know what, you're not going to end up in a wheelchair. You're going to do something. You're going to start researching, and you're going to figure out how to overcome this. And, you know, that that makes the, all the difference in the world. I, what I find is the Western pricers that that make that choice to to not succumb to their diagnosis, but to overcome it, to strive for better than what their diagnosis tells them they are, that anybody that makes that decision and then embarks on a, a crusade to get themselves well, you know, I find by and large those people do very, very well. And they may not get a 100% cure for what ails them, but they might get a much more manageable situation and a much more comfortable life um, just by making some lifestyle changes. I think the biggest thing for me with uh, with switching to um... – to the diet, um, similar to the Weston A. Price is, um, I just found, you know, I've tried so many different kind of diets and, um, a lot of it, a problem I had with all of these was just still feeling hungry. Cause I was eating all this, this low fat food and it just, it didn't make me feel fulfilled. And I feel by ignoring the whole low fat phenomenon, I mean, eating the, the full fat and just the real foods, just cutting out the, the preservatives, the fake stuff is, now I just I can feel more fulfilled. I mean, it's not a problem anymore of like, oh, I want more of it. I can, you know, I can eat some regular full fat meat and and it's enough. I'm not kind of craving stuff later in the day. Right. That's the the big um flaw in the low fat regime is that it's so unsatisfying. And satiety cuts off your your hunger cravings. So if you get enough of the good animal fats from grass-fed meats or wild-caught fish or or hunted in the wild animals like deer or what have you, you're going to um, basically your appetite will turn off. My husband and I, we used to eat, you know, like 12 ounces of red meat in, in, a, in a meal. Today we eat about three to four ounces each in, in a meal, but it's because the these healthy fats and these grass-fed meats are just so incredibly filling and satisfying. You don't need a whole lot to get the nutrients you need. So I, I think our, our modern conventional foods, they're depleted nutritionally, so we overeat. And, you know, that just causes the weight gain and all the the problems that people have, I think. At least that's been my experience. Well, I think so too, certainly. I mean, I think kind of this low-fat meat is, um, to me, runs the same problems as Diet Coke, which, I mean, because now I hear people, you know, dietitians, health experts, they bring up how Diet Coke is is bad for, for weight control, for weight loss, because it's sweeter, the NutraSweet, and it makes you crave more. And I see low-fat, you know, like low-fat beef is the same way. It 
uh, it just makes you crave more. Right, and you probably eat more sugars and cakes um, to make up for the lack of satisfaction. You know, because a lot of sugary foods do have fat in them. Think about ice cream and cake. They, you know, they typically they're made with a, a form of fat. So, you know, would you rather get your fat from a nice grass-fed steak or would you rather have a big piece of cake, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, anyway, it's, it's, uh, it's quite interesting that our government guidelines seem to recommend the exact wrong thing. And I'm not sure how we've come to accept this, but I do think things are changing. You know, you have magazines like Men's Health and Prevention Magazine. They're starting to talk about healthy fats and the importance of healthy fat in your diet. Of course, I learned that from at first from the South Beach diet doctor because he, he debunked the whole notion of cholesterol being a problem. He was the one that got us eating eggs again because my, my morning breakfast used to be coffee and a bagel with cream cheese because I had been um, programmed to think that eggs were bad. You know, eggs were a once a week special meal. <laughs> so um, anyway, eating eggs and bacon in the morning, you know, is much more filling and satisfying. It, it keeps me full until lunch. I don't need to snack. Um, not that snacking is bad if you're having a healthy snack, but I often don't feel the need to snack because I'm just so full from a nice hearty breakfast. And I no longer feel the guilt because I know that the cholesterol in in my food is actually good for me. It's not bad, especially when you're getting eggs from a pasture-raised hen. Oh, absolutely, because eggs are one of my favorite foods. In fact, last week on the show I had uh, Jason Jones, the president of Vital Farms, on where we talked all about about pastured eggs, about the great orange eggs. Yes. There's um, a wonderful, I saw on our Facebook page, a wonderful diagram that somebody's posted there under fan photos, and it shows the nutritional comparison between a conventional egg and a pasture-raised egg, and it's like amazing. It's, you know, double, triple the nutrition in in these pasture-raised eggs. So um, it's it's a a whole new world, and... It's so funny, I, I was saying to my personal trainer at the gym one day that, that cereal was against my religion, and this older woman turned to me horrified with her mouth gaping open. She goes, oh, well, what do you eat then? And I just looked at her, I said, bacon, eggs, toast, you know, <laughs> sourdough toast. And uh, she w- was so, you know, hook, line, and sinker had bought the message that only oatmeal or cereal or bran buds or whatever you call it, you know, these, these um, wheat germ cereals, that they were the only way to go, that she had long ago forgotten that eggs and bacon and toast was the traditional diet. You know, that she probably grew up with that, and at a certain point, she got influenced by all the messages in the media, the cultural uh, paradigm, to think that if you didn't eat cereal, there was nothing left to eat. (laughs) Right. Actually, I've been reading recently about cereal, about the extrusion process, about how that makes cereal bad. And can you explain that a little about the extrusion in cereal? You know, I I know that the first 30 pages of Sally's cookbook, Nourishing Traditions, she goes into great lengths about how an extrusion machine works. And I I really can't tell you because it's been a while since I read that. But uh, apparently the, the process the way they manipulate the grains, the high heat, the, you know, um, 
puffing up of the greens, it, it, it kind of destroys the nutrition in, in there. And I would just commend to anybody to get Nourishing Traditions. It's a wonderful cookbook. And the first 30 pages are like amazing information of everything you'd ever wanted to know about what's wrong with the sad American diet is in there. <laughs> so Absolutely. I think Nourishing Traditions is a must read because it was um, when I first discovered Wesnay Price at the um, – at the Green Festival uh, last year and talked to them, and they were telling me, yeah, you know, um, you can order uh, Nourishing Traditions on Amazon. And also then, actually, I found out, um, I found my friend Hannah Crum of Kombucha Camp. She, uh, I found out she was a member of it, and she's like, she's like, well, do you have Nourishing Traditions? She's like, you got to get this book. So I end up, you know, getting it, and it, it really is, uh, it really is a great book. It has a lot of great recipes I've been trying from it. Um, and actually, another place uh, to find out about a good article about the extrusion process is there's a blog by uh, by L.A. Uh, Weston A. Price co-chapter leader Victoria Block called For Love of Food, and she explains the extrusion process in there of basically asking, you know, how, you know what types of cereals sh- should you eat? Basically, uh, none. Um, there was the one cereal <laughs> I, I wondered about, um, and I've, I've seen some, some uh, real food bloggers kind of uh, – Talking about a little um, was uh, I don't know if you're familiar at all with Food for Life. They have a sprouted, a sprouted grain cereal or a couple sprout grain cereals on the line. Um, well, I have somebody uh, gifted me a loaf of their bread that I've been eating all week, the um, sprouted bread, and I'm I have think in the past seen their cereal. I may have even bought it when I've been on a trip and wanted to have a little cereal and as a healthy option. But is it a good product as far as you know? Um, I mean, my take on it is it is because I've heard that it has a lower extrusion process. Um, there's an entry on it, I believe it was by a healthy home economist, uh, talked about how it, it's actually – I would kind of – I think this is probably what Sally Fallon would view as a compromise food. And I think that's kind of mm-hmm. um, what all of uh, Food for Life says. They're the ones that make the Ezekiel bread. They're compromised foods. Right. I wouldn't recommend eating – their sprouted cereal every day. But like um, for me, for one thing, like I keep it in a desk at work if I happen to sleep in and uh, I need to, uh, you know, eat something when I get in, then then I have it. So I think that certainly, right. you know, because there is, there is still some extrusion. It's just at a lower, they like extrude it at a lower speed. So, you know, it's kind of, it's a better food. And that's the same thing with their bread. I mean, because their bread mm-hmm. does contain, their sprouted bread does contain yeast and, um, and then there's some breads of theirs that should be avoided because they have soy in them. But um, yes, I know there's so many breads now that are using soy flour. Well, um, you know, on my blog, one of my guest bloggers, Janice Curtin, submitted a recipe for a seed cereal that she made for her daughter. I think her daughter was gluten intolerant, so um, people could go to Heart Kia's online and look on my recipe page and for that cereal. And I also have the recipe for. The Eat Fat, Lose Fat book of Sally Fallon's had a wonderful recipe developed by a chapter leader on um, uh, soaked granola. And I make that for my husband because he's wild about having a little bowl of cereal before we go to work out. So you soak the the oats in um, a mixture of water and yogurt for two days and sort of ferment the oats, breaking down the phytic acid and whatnot. And then you uh, roast it in the oven. And at the, the last step, you add the nuts and the coconut and raisins if you want. 
Um, so that recipe is on my blog as well. There's also, um, in the back of the Wise Traditions magazine, there are uh, vendors that advertise that make Western pricey type of foods. So if people want the convenience, but they still want to be strict on a Western price diet and have all the proper preparation methods, um, they should look at the ads in the back of our magazine. There's a, a little company called Joshua's Garden that makes wonderful granola cereals using the, the eat fat, lose fat recipe. So I recommend that, that vendor to people. Right. And actually, my brother has uh, something that he eats now, kind of, it's called like, calls it like granola, um, where it's like uh, rolled oats. And well, actually, with his recipe, um, there are a few things actually I, uh, I haven't tried it yet, but I kind of want to try it by changing it, um, where I mean, it basically involves mixing like rolled oats with, uh, with raw almonds and, um, you know, some fruit, uh, maple syrup. Um, and I, I actually suggest him because he says put in sugar. I had said, well, actually, you should, um, you should instead put in like uh, some like Sucanat or Rapunzel, coconut sugar, something like that. And he also recommended vegetable oil. I said, well, you know, I think uh, do like a butter instead. And I, I think a thing I like um, about the these recipes that I see is that it seems really with, you know, these nourishing traditions and the recipes on the Real Food Media blogs, um, it seems to be pretty much everything that, you know, I've loved eating. It's just kind of making it more with the, you know, the wise traditional ingredients versus these these ingredients that were added to to make the process faster and give them a longer shelf life. Right. Well, you know, Dr. Weston Price in the 1930s called those kinds of foods the displacing foods of modern commerce. Um, you know, food manufacturers are always on the quest for cheaper ingredients to increase their profitability and to increase their shareholders' dividends. And you can't blame them for that, but in the process, um, nutrition gets put on the back burner and the, the, the end consumer gets shortchanged. So if your diet is heavily reliant on these displacing foods of modern commerce, it's going to lead to, de- to degenerative disease. And um, that's the whole mission of our foundation is to get people back cooking their own food from scratch, making um, more of an effort to do home processing rather than allowing the industrial processing industry to do it for us. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with cheats and convenience foods from time to time as a stopgap measure or when you're traveling or on the road. You know, you, you don't want to starve to death, so you do need to grab things on the go sometimes. But if you live that way as a rule, it's definitely going to have a severe impact on your health. So, you know, my husband and I try to follow the philosophy is that we're 90% Western Price with our eating habits so that the 10% of the time that we have to, um, you know, do something that is like a compromise that it's really not going to, overall, we're not going to suffer from it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, most, uh, most West Nate Price members have, I found have been similar to that because, uh, Anne Marie of, you know, runs the real food media blog. She said, you know, usually she eats good about 89% of the time and, you know, someone's like when she eats out, she doesn't worry about everything being 100% perfect. And I mean, that was another thing that I liked about the West Nate Price Foundation and about the, you know, the diet that they recommended is, you know, it didn't have to be this like all or nothing thing where you can only eat this because um, we have so many, you know, diets that just that's like you can never eat, uh, you know, these certain things. And I've I've always been been against that. So 
I like that. Yeah, rigidity, rigidity in diet can really be limiting. And I, I think that um, people can be so rigid that even in the face of the facts that these foods can be healthful and, and maybe even therapeutic, the rigidity that's controlled their, their eating pattern um, rejects health from food, foods outside of their paradigm that they've selected. And I have a real issue with that because when I was so uh, severely crippled with the knee pain, I would have done anything. I would have reevaluated anything I was doing if it was going to fix the problem. And I do think you need to keep an open mind about food and diet because things are always changing. New discoveries are always being made. I mean, science marches forward, and you don't want to be left behind because you've locked into a rigid eating pattern that's really ruling out options. You know, I just, uh, I don't believe that, in, that that's good for you to do. So um, I'm sure Sally will discover some new things along her path and she'll probably let us know in a magazine article. <laughs> so, Yeah, absolutely. Actually, one of the recent things I remember reading, which is kind of interesting, was talking about the whole, um, what was it? It was about the, um, the like the nitrates in, uh, in bacon and then talking about how some of these ones that say they're uncured, um, it's like the celery salt in it can can produce uh, nitrates of itself, and so I think I think the recommendation was um, still you know don't get ones with add nitrates, but get the um, don't get uncured, get the uh, the artisanally cured uh, nitrate free bacon. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I know there's always nuances that we discover. Keith and I actually cure our own bacon um, using a recipe uh, given to me by a cookbook author. Stanley Fishman has a fabulous cookbook, Tender Grass-Fed Meat, and yes. he's come out with a Tender Grass-Fed Barbecue book. I, I asked him, "What do I do with this pork I'm buying? It's uncured bacon from the from the farmer's market, and it just tastes so blah. It tastes like pork chop. You know, it's not fun to eat with my eggs." And so he gave me a recipe, and it's on my blog. I, I highly recommend it. It's really rather simple. You soak the um, the uncured bacon in a bath of salt and water and fruit. Uh, like you, you use either apple cider or grind up an apple, so that adds the sweetness. And then you put garlic, uh, pepper. You can put other herbs in there. I once used um, some rosemary, made like a rosemary bacon. Anyway, uh, you just soak it at room temperature um, for 12 hours, then um, maybe put it in the refrigerator overnight. The next morning, you, you take it out of the water bath, dry it off, and fry it. It's fabulous. It really works great, and, and it's probably as good, if not better, than what you get at the store, really. Yeah. So. Now, can that process of curing it, can that only work with like ones that are completely uncured by the uh... – at the farmer's market, or I mean, could you use that as like um, as a way of like say like some of these like uncured, um, you know, packaged uh, bacon they sell at like Whole Foods, something like Applegate Farms. I know they sell the uncured. Could you do that process too with with one of those? No, because I think that they've done something to flavor those bacon's. You know, I think um, right. it would be a farmer's market product that's literally just strips of of uh, pork belly. You know, it's not nothing's been done to mm -hmm. it. Um. So, yeah, you just buy uncured bacon. Um, the other thing we do sometimes is from the farmer's market, we'll buy the smoked bacon. We do like the, the, the smoke, smoky bacon. Like applewood smoked bacon is really good. Some restaurant chefs are smoking their own bacon, which I think is really cool. Oh, absolutely. Um, so when you see that on a menu, you know, house smoked 
bacon, definitely try that. <laughs> Order that entree. <laughs> right. Yeah. Now, when you eat out, because I know you said, you know, some, like when you eat out, you don't follow the rules uh, precisely. Um, do you still try to find the, some restaurants that serve like some organic uh, ingredients and restaurants that serve grass-fed beef? Well, we eat out eat out less than we ever have because number one, my husband loves my cooking now. Nice. <laughs> but um, but when we do eat out, we do try to support chefs that are sourcing local, that are doing you know wild caught fish or grass fed meats, um, and those are the restaurants we try to support. We also avoid like the plague anything deep fried. Um, because they're all frying with soy or canola oil, usually soy in the restaurants. And, you know, I, I work on the prison soy lawsuit for the foundation. In Illinois, the prisoners are getting toxic overload of soy in their diet. And I do believe that the restaurants in America, having been told to r- remove animal fats from their cooking um, that this is the reason that the prisoners are being overfed the soy protein isolate, which is a waste product of the soy oil industry. So if we could get the chefs hip to going back to using beef tallow and lard when they're frying fried chicken or, or um, you know, McDonald's used to use beef tallow in their fryer. Um, and it makes much better tasting fried food. And it's healthful for you, especially if they're using um, beef and pork fat from pasture-raised animals. So I always pester the fine dining chefs when I'm out to to consider this, and and usually they look at me like I've got three heads. They just it's so far out of their realm of experience, because you know the culinary schools don't teach them these things. So everything's been, you know, co-opted by the system. There was a big campaign to to get to target fast food joints in particular and get them to stop using animal fats like 20 or 30 years ago, and it really right. worked. That was like, was that the yeah. CSPI that did that? Yes, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they did, and, uh, you know, they, they're they quite happy with themselves, I'm sure, because, you know, these fast food uh, places were easy targets. They were big organizations with a lot, of, lot to lose with bad publicity, so they just knuckled under without knowing the nutrition that they were ditching. You know, they were throwing nutrition out the window and putting in its place something that was harmful. And we now know that trans fats are harmful, but, um, you know, they're still using the soy oil, which I don't believe is is any better than the trans fats, even though they're not hydrogenated. They're still hazardous, according to the Weston Price Foundation. And I'm not an expert in this. I'm just following, you know, the guidelines that the foundation has done the research on. But um, in any event, so, yeah, we are very careful. We we order a lot of grilled food in restaurants, and we ask the chef deliberately, are you using real butter? Uh, will you be frying my omelet in, in butter, not Pam's, not a spray? You know, mm-hmm. so uh, we get kind of annoying to the waitresses because they have to keep running back to the kitchen to see, you know, what the chef's methods are. <laughs> so, um, you know, once we find a chef that we know how he cooks, we tend to go there so we don't have to hassle the waitress so much. Right. Um, but I think I think that's certainly that's a good thing, going into restaurants and giving them suggestions and also um, – Another thing that I like to encourage is actually not to only shop at natural food stores, but shop at conventional grocery stores and tell them uh, that you want these natural products sold there. That's another thing I yes. recommend to do. 
Yes, and I, I do support the organic section of my local uh, grocery stores, and I do uh, support Whole Foods for ancillary things, things that I can't make myself. For instance, I buy my oats at Whole Foods. I buy my raisins there. I buy avocados there because they're not grown locally. So I, I do feel very grateful that we do have stores that are implementing these more natural sections, putting in organic foods departments in their produce section and you know we're very lucky that that stores are getting wise to all of this yeah do you buy the other uh, bob's red mill oats those ones you buy i i'm buying from that uh, the bulk purchase section oh well that's that's even you know, better the, where <laughs> you you I, I don't know if it's better or not because i know bob's red mill is a oh. wonderful company oh, well but i it's just i i buy it in eight I buy like eight cups at a time because that's what my recipe calls for. So I buy a lot. And I have a feeling that Bob's Red Mill packages, I'd have to buy two or three of them to get the eight cups. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> aren't they normally kind of small little? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, the bags. reason I say it's that bulk bins are better is um, because it becomes a thing of um, basically the less packaging, you know, as far as. Um... Oh, so better for the environment. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, right about uh... that. That's what it is. I knew that once. I knew that when I was first starting into the health food thing in my 20s, I knew that bulk food was better for the environment. I had just forgotten that little that little aspect. <laughs> yeah, it's better in that way. But also, I mean, it is also bulk food also. I mean, you know, some of the stuff that you find like uh, canned where it's like soaked in correctly also, it's good because you can just get it from the bulk bin like the beans and then soak them yourself. So, I mean, it's that's another reason why, I mean, bulk bins are a great uh, – Great concept, and and maybe it's fresher because maybe it's the turnover is is greater. I don't know. I don't know. But um, anyway, that's that's one of my favorite sections of Whole Foods is that bulk bulk section. I buy some nuts there. I also buy nuts at Trader Joe's. They have a fabulous raw nut section. Oh, their nuts are so good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I buy my raw almonds direct mail so that I can get unpasteurized almonds. This is the thing that is, is so egregious about our government food policy. They will allow raw almonds that are pasteurized to be sold with raw almonds on the label. They, the California almond growers got together and they decided to, to, to mandatory pasteurize their product but then the government allows them still to still sell, sell it in the stores saying raw almonds. So the consumer doesn't know that they're not really getting raw almonds. They're getting either an irradiated product or some kind of heat-treated product. Um, so I, 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 when I found that out, I started buying my almonds direct mail from a farmer that was not treating them. Right. And, yeah, in California we have a great um, raw almond supplier is um... – Organic pastures, which mainly known for uh, for raw dairy, but also um, they actually they have so many great lines of things. I mean, because they also have raw almonds and they have pastured eggs and and also grass fed beef. So um, I think probably in uh, in California that uh, organic pastures is the best supplier of uh, of raw almonds. Well, um, it's been great having you on our show. Certainly. Um, Great to hear about. Well, it's so nice meeting you after being Facebook book friends all this time. So I'm really glad to have been on the show, and um, I hope people will visit me on my blog. And I'd love to uh, connect with you again in the future. Sure. Well, why don't you tell the listeners how they can find your blog, and also where they can find the other uh, website for the Weston A. Price Foundation? Sure. 
Okay, my blog is heartkeyisonline.com. H-A-R-T-K-E is my last name, is online.com. And then westinaprice.org and realmilk.com is our other website, uh, realmilk.com. So, and also friend us on Facebook. We'd love to have you. It's facebook.com forward slash westinaprice. And um, we're also on Twitter. So thank you very much for your time. I thank you. It's great to uh, have you on the show, and certainly people will be able to uh, get links to all these uh, places that you've talked about uh, on my blog. So thank you. We'd love to have you on the show okay. again. All right. Thank you, Aaron. Bye-bye. Bye. And now for our desserts, my recommendation on what's appropriate to eat this week. This Sunday, April 22nd, is Earth Day. Santa Monica Restaurant True Food Kitchen is offering customers that walk or bike to the place a 25 discount. You can obtain the coupon on their website, eater.com. True Food Kitchen has a menu designed by Andrew Weil and offers many great options in real food. I personally recommend the grass-fed bison burger. Also, Friday, April 27th, Nancy Silverton's grass-fed burger restaurant, Short Order, will be offering a special that night called the Pittsburgher. It's a send-up of Pittsburgh's famed Primanti Brothers-style overstuffed sandwiches. The burger will be topped with pastrami, parmesan cheese, fries, and coleslaw. Growing up in Cleveland, I've loved these overstuffed sandwiches. To combine this with a grass-fed beef burger is a dream come true. And lastly, every week up until the ban of foie gras in California, I'm going to list a restaurant where you can get it. This week, my recommendation is the mid-city restaurant Animal, located on Fairfax Avenue. Animals run by John Shook and Vinnie DiTolo, who've made appearances on Top Chef in the past season. And Animal serves foie gras and veal tongue with pastrami spices and crab apple. That's all for this week of Appropriate Omnivore. For more information on the news stories I talked about, our guest, as well as these events, you can get the links in my blog, appropriateomnivore.blogspot.com. Next week, my guests will be Ryan Mason and Bria Dame from the Boo Kombucha Tea.